you can open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. We've been in this series in the book of Mark, and it's, for me, been really good. Hopefully it's been good for you as well, uh, to take a look at the life of Jesus. Now Mark tells things a little bit differently he's, than, than Matthew and Luke and John. He's, he's blazing through this. He's going story by story. Sometimes we're not even sure how much time has actually passed. He's just moving one point to the next. Making, making clear above everything else that Jesus is king. That Jesus is not only king, but he's different than any king that's ruled before. And Jesus is Lord, and he's not Lord like those on earth who would Lord over your life. And Jesus is a servant, which is unheard of, of a Lord or a king. And so Jesus is different. And, and he also makes point, as we've seen many times already, he's a teacher, a teacher of one important thing, the good news, the gospel. And, and just like his other categories, he's unlike any teacher that any of these people have ever seen. And so we're continuing to see that Jesus reveals himself to be many things as king, as Lord. He's been the Lord of good news, proclaiming good news, beginning of, of chapter one, and, and the Lord of deliverance. As he, as he brings the leopard who's lived his life as, as an outcast, he brings him in, delivers him from illness, and a, a Lord of healing and, and other sicknesses, a Lord of forgiveness. Being someone who can forgive sins is, is not something that any man could do. And so he's establishing himself as God and Lord of redemption. As we saw him call Levi, the tax collector, one who doesn't belong, as we see him call fishermen, those who were, who were not good enough to follow a rabbi, to call them to follow. This Lord of the New Covenant, this last Sunday as we looked at uh, chapter 2, 18 through 22, the Lord of something new. It's not what it used to be. There's something different now. And the religious don't see him as that at all. They see him as unclean, blasphemous. They see him as a law-breaking friend of sinners who doesn't belong and this growing frustration is mounting to a point that we just heard read in this passage that they would seek to destroy him. They've had enough. And, and it's interesting because if they would just listen to what he's saying, if they would just hear his questions and actually try to find an answer, if they would bear witness to this, this model of God that there's, that's before them, that everything they've devoted themselves to, the entire law, the Old Testament law, everything they stand for is standing before them in the flesh. It's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. But they're so devoted to their religion that they've missed the point of everything. And so as we walk through this passage this morning, it's imperative we ask the same questions of ourselves. Are we missing the point of everything? Because we're tied to something else. The religions we've created in our lives. Are we missing who Jesus is? And Jesus is everything. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. It's all about Jesus. Everything. There's not anything that isn't about Jesus. 
All that's happened in creation past, all that's before creation, everything from the foundations of creation has been about Jesus pointing forward to Jesus. Everything that's happened since Jesus is pointing back to Jesus. Everything that will happen from now on is all about Jesus. It's the focal point of all things. The birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus is the point of everything. But do we believe that? Do we live our lives believing that? From subatomic particles to galaxies, everything is about Jesus. It should radically change all that we are if we believe that. Because I think more than anything, we live for ourselves. And that's how we get caught up in these systems of of religious belief. So these Pharisees are totally missing it. And rather than just pointing out how others are missing it, Let's also consider that we might be missing it. That we've created for ourselves forms of religion and we've lived not for God, we've lived for ourselves. Even if we've given our life to Christ, gone through the motions, even if you are a genuine believer, it's likely that you still very much are building your own kingdom. And I say that humbly because I realize in my life, as I'm processing these things, I very much build my own kingdom often. And it's my desire that God would destroy that because I see that it's all about Jesus. And if if I live like I believe that, everything changes. And so he says something very interesting in this passage. He claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, if we're just honest, at face value, that doesn't seem as exciting as Lord of Deliverance, the Lord of Forgiveness. He's Lord of the Sabbath, right? Especially if you don't know what that means. Now, I hope that As we walk through this, we'll see this is incredibly significant. This, among other things, is a culmination for these religious leaders. This this brings about outrage that would drive them to go plot his death. Like they want to kill him. So it's apparently a pretty big deal that he's claiming this. And Jesus pretty clearly communicates that their religion is futile. It's fruitless. It's pointless. Unless they see that he's Lord of the Sabbath. The rules they're following don't even matter if they miss He's the Lord of the Sabbath. And so let's walk through this passage and try to find some clarity and and apply it to our lives. Remember, as we read scripture that happened long ago to a culture that's far different than ours, we we need to try to see what it would have meant to them first and then apply it to ourselves. So so go with me as we go and, and read this. Verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? All right, so envision envision this. Envision them walking on a path. There's grain growing up around them. These guys are hungry. And so they're picking grain and they're eating it. They're, They're eating as they walk. This is not their field. So it seems like they're stealing, which shouldn't do. But actually, according to their law and tradition, Deuteronomy 23:25, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears from, with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So it's in their tradition, it's in their culture that it's perfectly fine. If you're hungry and you're walking down a path next to your neighbor's grain, you're allowed to eat it. Just don't put a sickle to it. You can, you can eat it. It's taking care of each other. It's loving your neighbor. It makes sense. There's a reason that's in place. And so they're not doing anything wrong. It's not a time of fasting. They're not breaking that law again. 
The problem is not their actions, it's the day of the week. The Sabbath comes from this Hebrew word that means rest. Shabbat, if you've heard, if you've heard, you have a Jewish friend or those who follow those, those traditions, this word means rest. And it's been established because rest is necessary. And so they, God get, he gave it to us in the Big Ten, right? The Ten Commandments. Keep the Sabbath holy. It's that important. They hold it dear. The Sabbath is important to these people. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 10. Is, this is the list of the Ten Commandments. This is a section from it. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to do to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, your sons, your daughters, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. So no one is to work on the Sabbath. Nobody. You stop doing work on this one day. Make it unto the Lord. Keep it holy. No one works. Not even the cows and the donkeys. Nobody's doing any work. You can't get around it with like tying the carrot to the head of your donkey so he'll plow the field. I'm not working. He's working. I don't do anything. There's no way around it. Even the livestock not, not allowed to work. No one's doing anything. God is making a point to his people in this command. You must rest. Rest is necessary. And I think we often fear rest because we don't want to be lazy. We don't want to fall behind. We don't want to get thrown off. Or the rhythms are set in our week. So we fear resting. I don't want to slow down. Some of you rest too much. And you know that. But I think as we further understand what Sabbath really means, maybe we'll, we'll see rest isn't exactly what we think it is. At Exodus 34, 21 is, a, is another description of this. It says six days you shall work. But on the seventh, you shall rest in plowing time and in harvest, you shall rest. So it's not only once a week, but it's all throughout the year, whether it's plowing, getting ready for planting or even in harvest time. All the time, you need to find this day of rest. And the Pharisees obviously considered what the disciples were doing as harvesting, which is ridiculous. And, and they remember now, we, have to, we have to understand that they added a lot to the law. So it's not just the Ten Commandments that they're living by. They remember their law. They remember this isn't right. They're trying to catch Jesus doing something wrong. So they take advantage of this opportunity. And we, we know that the Jews have 39 additions to this, this keeping the Sabbath holy. Probably more in understanding what these actions mean. But they're basically trying to guard their people against four types of common work. Everything involved in baking bread, so that's from including the harvest, making garments, making leather, and construction. So four basic types of work that Jewish people did. They're going to set all these rules around it as simple as you're not allowed to sh- to sift. <laughs> you're not allowed to sift flour. <laughs> sift. There's no H. You're not allowed to weave thread. You're not allowed to kindle fire. You're not allowed to carry objects more than a couple feet in a public place. Ridiculous minor rules like these things. Even to the point where they would say, you can do one stitch, but don't do two stitches. That's too many. Like ridiculous rules on top of this one rule, keep the Sabbath holy. And it sounds, sounds ridiculous, but when you step back and you consider why they would even do all that, it kind of makes sense. That they they see the Sabbath as holy. The rest is important. Let's rest. 
So they put all these rules in place to keep them far from going anywhere near breaking this commandment. They say, this is breaking the Sabbath. I'm going to do all these things in my life so that I don't get anywhere near breaking the Sabbath. They value the law of God. They cherish the law of God. They want to stay far from breaking the law of God. It's a good thing in itself. But if it's not rightly motivated, if the intentions for keeping the rules are forgotten, if they miss Jesus because of the rules, then we're talking legalism. We're talking religion. This is where the Pharisees have gotten themselves. And not only that, but they boasted in their ability to maintain all these rules as if that matters. And they've missed Jesus. And so Jesus, being who he is, answers them in a way they can understand by pointing to Scripture in verse 25. He says, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how they entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. He's asking them a question that they should know if they know the scripture. Don't you remember David? Now, this is this is David before he was king. This is first Samuel 21. David is on the run from King Saul, who's threatened his life. He's in hiding. He's hungry. He's desperate. He's in need. And the men with him are hungry. And the only thing available to eat is the bread of the presence, which is the show bread. This is the bread that goes before the presence of God. These 12 massive loaves of bread. That they, they represented the tribes of Israel would go in the presence of the Lord as a sacrifice. Every week they would change these out. And so as they changed them out, the bread that came off was for the priests because it was holy and the priests were, were consecrated. They were set apart. They were holy. They could eat it, but only the priests. And this small example that seems insignificant if you're reading through this story of David, Jesus points to it and says, don't you remember the priest gave the holy bread to David and his men who weren't priests. It was unlawful. It was breaking a regulation. God permitted it. There's things we can point to in David's life, laws he broke, that there were tons of consequences. Adultery, murder, those things had consequences. But why not this law? Why not this rule? Jesus is making this significant point to the Pharisees to which they don't know how to respond. They just get mad about it. And the point of this story is not not just that David broke a rule and got away with it. It's Jesus saying to him and everyone listening, I'm the better David. I'm a true king. I have all authority. I am more holy than those priests. In fact, I'm the high priest. I can decide what's good and what's not good. And he he even goes as far as to actually say, I'm going to change everything by saying in verse 27, The Sabbath was not made for man. You're missing it. Not, it's not about, it's not about following the rules. The Sabbath, I said not made for man. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. All the rules, all the regulations, it's all about me. Everything is about Jesus. So the Sabbath is for man. It's rest is for us. It's 
It's absolutely ironic that we would pile on this burdensome regulation to rest. Jesus is claiming authority to correct this poor interpretation of old, old, the Old Testament tradition. And, and we'll come back to this because it's the point of it all. But we need to go on chapter 3 because he continues. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Again, he entered the synagogue. Now this is probably a week later, another Sabbath day. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus, the Pharisees watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. Now this word accuse is an indictment. They're still missing it. All right? They want to they catch him doing something wrong. They want to they see he's breaking the rules, get the people to turn against him so that they can have him destroyed. According to their rules, someone in a life and death situation can be rescued. So if this guy was choking on something in the synagogue, then Jesus could perform the Heimlich. He knew what it was even before Heimlich existed. If, if life is on the line, it's okay. But a withered hand is certainly not anything. It can wait till tomorrow is, is their point. The Sabbath, no, you're not allowed to heal anyone on the Sabbath. That's, that's work. You can't work. You have to rest. You're not resting. It doesn't matter if it's to benefit this man. And so Jesus knows that they're thinking this. He knows what they're up to. And in verse 3, he says to the man with the withered hand, come here. And like all things in God's creation, he obeys. And he came, and, and Jesus not only called the man to come here, but now he's talking to the Pharisees. He said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. So not knowing what to say, not knowing how to respond, because certainly you should do good, always. Certainly it's better to save life than to kill. In another step of irony, they go out on the Sabbath to plot to kill Jesus. Totally blind. Jesus looks at this man in need and he has compassion while they're totally blind to the need to do good. He knows that if he heals this man, he's putting his life on the line. He knows that it's breaking a Sabbath rule that's not actually the law of God. And he does it anyway because it's always good to do good. And it says he looked at the Pharisees with anger. So why was he angry? Well, what is the Sabbath about? Rest. What is resting? It's the restoration of the weary. It's, it's replenishing the diminished. It's repairing the broken. Healing this man. Restoring this withered hand is exactly what the Sabbath is all about. How blind are they? How far are they from the truth? They're insecure and anxious about their rule following. They're too arrogant and self-obsessed to care about those in need. They're caught up in enforcing regulations and they've totally missed the reason for the regulation, the reason for the rule, the reason and the motivation behind following the rules is all about Jesus. The heart of these Pharisees were as hardened and withered as this man's hand. And if we're honest, I think we can say the same is true for us often. Worn out by the rules. 
We're opposed to belief because it feels like it's obligation. It's burdensome to be a Christian. We, th- we have these thoughts. It's too much work to be committed to the crossing church. I cannot believe the covenant requires so much. That's scripture calling us to live our lives in this way. And if we're thinking that way, I think we've missed it. Because that's not Jesus. We can, we can see that this, this withered hand is a symbol of our exhausted religious hearts. And we can find ourselves suffering under the weight of our performance-based systems, not just in the church, but in your schoolwork. This, this performance, clearly a performance-based system. They give you grades, letter grades, on how well you perform. And in work, in your occupation, the standards, the, the requirements set by your bosses, it's overwhelming the burdens we take on in this life to perform well and prove ourselves to everyone. And, and even in our resting, we find ourselves restless because we're, we're missing it. We seek to fulfill the expectations and follow the rules and find satisfaction in those things and everywhere in between because we get so caught up in trying to do what's right and not doing what's wrong, we're totally missing Jesus. And remember, it's all about Jesus. He is our hope. And He is calling for us to stretch out our hand and be restored. Let's go back to verse 27 and 28 of chapter 2. It's very important. We see this is the thesis of it all. It says, And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I think we need to take a better look at what Sabbath is. What does it mean to rest? It's based on God. So Genesis chapter 2, God created all things, and he looked at it and he said it was good, right? You remember, everything he created, this is good. Everything he created, good, good. Created man and woman, very good. It's, he's enjoying it. So chapter 2, verse 1 and 3 of Genesis. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had created. Everything God had created, he rested. He made it. He demonstrated this concept of rest. Now, obviously, maybe not obviously, the God of the universe who is all-powerful, existing beyond our concepts of time and fatigue, was not worn out from his work. He wasn't, whew, took a lot out of me. I'm going to kick back, watch some ESPN. God wasn't worn out from creation. Instead, he was satisfied with his creation. He was enjoying what he had created. It wasn't weird for him to talk to himself because he exists in Trinity. So he was saying, look what we have done. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. Let us rest, delight in this accomplishment. God enjoyed his creation. It was good. And when he had finished creating it, he rested in it. He saw it and it was good. So instead of thinking of rest as taking a nap, let us think of it as being brought to a point of satisfaction. 
as finding ourselves restored. Now, we're finite, so we do grow tired and we do need to be restored. We do need to be replenished. But, but this model we're following isn't just a nap, isn't just kicking back. It's being satisfied. It's enjoying. It's delighting in the accomplishments. Even set aside from, from beliefs, even before or outside of Christianity, even before you were Christian, rest was that. That you would work hard to do something and then when it's done, you look at it and you see what you've accomplished. And rest. I mowed the lawn Friday and it was way too tall. It was ridiculous. Like I was mowing a jungle. It took twice as long as I thought I was going to, and it, I was worn out at the end. I got some water and I looked at it and it felt good. Like I was worn out. But I was, I was pleased with the accomplishment of a fresh, freshly mowed lawn. Also, I forgot my lawnmower was self-propelled, so I was pushing it the whole time. And about halfway through, I was like, oh, duh. So I was extra worn out. Anyway, that's embarrassing. I don't know why I said that. It's been a whole year in that mode, so it's easy to forget stuff. Justification. All right. We are to delight in our accomplishments, take joy in what we've done. So not, not working is, does not equal rest, is what I'm saying. Stopping the work does not mean you're resting. You get it? So it's not just that we're to stop doing things. Rather, as Christians, we are to stop and remember what God has done. We find rest in Jesus. Deuteronomy 5, verse 15, another recording of the Ten Commandments. says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. It almost seems out of place if you don't think about what we just talked about. Remember what God has done. You were a slave. Some of us are still a slave to schoolwork, a slave to your occupation, a slave to doing what's right in your belief system. We're slave, enslaved by it. But God, with great might and an outstretched arm, has pulled us out of slavery so that we could rest. You know, slaves never got a day off. In Egypt, they were working nonstop. But God brought them out and he said, look, just as I have rested and enjoyed creation, delight in me. Take time to rest because you can do that now. You're no longer a slave. And so the Jews have held Saturday, the seventh day of the week, as a day of rest for centuries, for thousands of years. They've held this day of rest. Moses delivering the the Hebrews out of slavery is only a shadow of what Jesus has done. Delivering us, his people, out of the slavery of our sin. And and God wants us to rest on Sabbath day. We hold it as Sunday, the day of resurrection. And the, the revelation calls it the Lord's day. We hold it as the Lord's day and we rest in it. It's our Sabbath day. But more than a day of the week, we rest in Jesus every moment of every day. And remember what he has done. The necessary work for our deliverance. That we could find rest in Christ. So for Jesus to say he's Lord of the Sabbath. He's saying remember me. It's all about me. In him we find an unending ever, ever filling all satisfying rest. 
In Christ, we can rest. Not we have to rest. We are enabled to. We are free to. Jesus is our satisfaction. He's our joy. We delight in what he has done. In religion, you're saved by rising above the masses. You're saved by working hard. The Pharisees were doing religion right. They were proving themselves to be good enough. They were working hard to separate themselves from those who failed at religion. And so the only way to succeed in religion is to prove you're better than everybody else. The only way to succeed in your work is to prove you're better than everybody else. The only way to succeed in school is to be better than everybody else. These systems of proving ourselves are wearing us out because we're missing Jesus. Don't consider keeping the Sabbath a law for you to follow an obligation, even though it looks like it because it's in there with the Ten Commandments. We also have don't kill, don't steal, don't, don't lie, honor your parents. All those things are these rules that are pretty much things you can't do. Now maybe you would think, I, can't, I can get away with not murder. I can live my whole life and not murder anybody. I could probably do pretty good at not committing adultery. But Jesus ruined those things for us when he says, well, adultery is lusting. And when he says, well, murder is hating. There's nothing, there's not any of these that you can successfully do. Nothing. You will be worn out by your working hard to prove you can follow these unless you realize it's all about Jesus. So in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. It's not just keeping the commandments. The Pharisees did well with that. It's realizing they're not a burden. Obeying is freeing. Obey, obedience to the commandments is not a burden. And it shouldn't give us this feeling that we're missing out on something. It shouldn't make you think, well, it's robbing me of pleasures if I follow these rules. I don't get what I want when I follow these rules, so obviously they're not good for me. No, the law is good. It's not been taken away. It's been fulfilled by Christ. Sabbath was not just for the Jews. It's for the believers. Rest is imperative because it's for our good. And if we function like this, if we desire a break from Christianity, if you think, I've got to just not go to church this Sunday because it's just too much for me. I'm going to just, I'll have church at home with my family. I need a break from Sabbath. If you function like that, you're missing it. Scripture, it cuts deep, but it's for our good. The, the standards we have in our lives are not always convenient or comfortable or satisfying, but they're for our good. So what is it that we're trying to say when we, when we say, I want to work hard, I want to do good? What is it exactly we're trying to accomplish? Let's just step back for a minute and ask a simple question. What, why do we work in school and in your occupation? Why do we work? Well, we want to get things done, obviously. But I think it's more than that. I think in our culture, that's how you find your identity. Your work is what you are. It's, it's who you are. It's what you've proved yourself to be. It provides, you and de- provides for you and defines you. 
And so we're so desperately trying to show ourselves and others that we're somebody in our work. And it's wearing us out. Some of you are more exhausted than you've ever been in your life because of your work, because of this compulsion to do things right, because of your desire to prove yourself. And rest isn't happening. Even, even though you take time to binge on Netflix, you're not resting. But, but rest isn't just not doing work. It's realizing the work has been done. And the Pharisees are so upset that Jesus is changing the rules that they set out to have him destroyed. In fact, they do get him killed eventually. But what they don't realize is that in killing Christ, the one who claimed to be Lord of the Sabbath, in killing him, they've actually made him the Lord of the Sabbath. We celebrate Jesus on Sundays because he rose on Sunday and putting him to death, they enabled him to accomplish what he set forth to do. This desire to kill Jesus made him the Lord of the Sabbath he claimed to be. And on the cross, he suffered restlessness, withering away, writhing in pain, feeling no sense of rest as he's dying on the cross becoming sin on our behalf. He became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He took from us the restlessness. He took from us this need to prove ourselves in our work. On the cross, he's feeling every anxious feeling you've ever felt in your work. He's feeling as worn out as you've ever felt in your work. He took on all of it. And at the end, he uttered something beautifully. It is finished. The work has been done. You are freed from the burden of work. You can rest now in God. And being a disciple of Christ is to say that, that I rest not in my work. I rest not in what I can accomplish, but in salvation, in what Christ has done. I look not to what I do, but what to Christ has done. Because in Christ, God has imputed our sin and our, rec- and our restlessness to Him on the cross. It's not our own. We're free now to rest. So in Christ, we look to God for our rest. And God looks to us and He sees it's good. It's good that we rest. It's good that we realize the work is finished and Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And unless we understand that gospel work in our heart, we can never find rest. If you think you're finding it by drinking a beer and watching SportsCenter or having wine and watching HTV, HGTV, we got the women in there too, and some men, I don't know. If if you think you're finding it in, in coffee and a good book, or a round of golf, or a manicure, or pedicure, and jogging, and hiking, and scrolling through Instagram, and stockpiling random information so you can prove to everybody you know good facts. If you find it in, in smoking a pipe, or, or working out, or eating good food, or eating healthy food, or building something, or destroying things, if that's what you're into. If, if you think you're finding it in deep theological conversation, and, and philosophical dreaming, if you think you're finding your rest in anything that's not Jesus, you've missed it. You're not going to find it there. 
There's no amount of leisure activity that's going to give you rest. There's no amount of self-satisfying activity that's going to give you rest. It's not in any of those things. It's in Jesus. Those things aren't evil. Some of them are really good things. Some of those things you should do. You should seek rest in those things, but only after realizing it's in Jesus that we're restored. The reason we enjoy these things is because God is a gracious God to give us these things to enjoy. If we let it terminate on those things, we've missed it and we're never going to find rest. You're always going to need more of that stuff and it's never going to satisfy you. Every amount of effort you put into resting will leave you restless unless you're worshiping the Lord of the Sabbath. But practically, we need to find rest in our lives. So practically speaking, it's important that you set up structure and things in your life to find rest. Because I think as Christians, especially without this law to Sabbath, as Christians, especially, we would we would say that it's more difficult. I would say it's more difficult to find rest as a Christian because we fail to see everything's about Christ and we fail to follow any law or regulation in our life because we, we think we're free to give up Sabbath. But because we don't have this rule, we, we're in danger of living a restless life. So I think, hear me rightly, I think it's wise to have rules. Not, you must follow this rule. I think it's wise to have rules because the rules are, are for your good when you rightly understand it's all about Jesus. It keeps you far from living a restless life and being burnt out and, and not being able to accomplish anything. So we need discipline. Because the, like the Hebrews in Egypt, we're slave to things and we easily enslave ourselves back to things. So we need discipline. We need structure. We need standards in our life. And because of our sinful hearts, we can so easily make the standards and the rules are our, our, what we're enslaving ourselves to. So we, we need accountability. We need brotherhood. We need sisterhood of the traveling pants. I don't know why that came out of my mouth. <laughs> you don't need sisterhood of the traveling pants. It's just what follows sisterhood naturally in my head. We need brotherhood and sisterhood. We need, to, we need to be close. We need community. We need family. So that we can even say, hey man, you need to rest. You need to take Sabbath. You need to realize that if you keep working like this, you're going to destroy yourself. And if you're leading anybody, they're going to suffer as well. So in August, Jared is going to take some form of some form of Sabbath. We're not sure exactly what it's going to look like. We're figuring that out right now. But he is going to take time to love his family well, to find rest for a month. Because he has invested a lot into this. He's, he's preparing sermons and he's doing the bylaws and he's working out the details of what it's going to look like for the crossing to exist in this association. And Scott and I help him on those things. But as the lead elder, as the, as the first among equals, he's putting a lot of work to be the church planter. And the church planter has to do a lot of work and a lot of it goes unseen and it's wearing him out. But before he's burnt out and, un, and not able to function as a leader, he's wisely choosing to rest. Now, he would rather 
keep working hard and get things done because that's his mindset. But it's wise for him to seek rest. And, and we have this fear that if I do something like that, people are going to think I'm lazy. I don't want to be lazy, so I'm going to keep working hard. That way everybody knows I'm putting forth this effort and I'm accomplishing things. Well, that's the mindset of a Pharisee. That's, realizing, that's thinking that you're going to prove yourself in your work. That's thinking your identity lies in what you accomplish. That's forgetting it's all about Jesus. Legalism exists not because of the rules. It exists because of our, the disposition of our heart towards the rules. Rules are good when rightly motivated. That is taking seriously this desire to worship Jesus with our lives. It requires sacrifice. It requires discipline that we're not going to naturally do. If we don't put these standards and this discipline in our lives, we're going to drift to self-indulgence. We're going to drift to doing whatever I feel like doing. It's foolish. And if you don't, if you don't set standards, if you don't hold yourself in, to to good regulations, healthy regulations, then it's absolutely welcoming sin into your life to destroy you. James chapter 1, 14 and 15 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. If we fail to rest... We're killing our soul. You know that if you fail to rest physically, you're going to die. You can actually work yourself to death. You have to sleep, scientifically proven. But there's a depth to sleep that you need physically and spiritually. There's a depth to rest you need. Science has proven in, in psychology study, some of you may know REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep is deep sleep. It's where you actually find rest. You can't just take 15-minute naps throughout the day and live. You have to go into this deep sleep, and it takes time to go into this deep sleep to actually have your body physically restored. The same is true spiritually. Our souls will suffer if we don't rest, and not just every once in a while think about Jesus, but take time to stop working, even even a day such as a Sabbath day to stop working and rest remembering who Jesus is remembering what he's accomplished remembering what he's done it's necessary it's not just something you have to do because it's in the law it's necessary for your good to worship Jesus with your life So let me ask, do you delight in keeping the commandments of God? Do you find joy in your obedience? Do you see that Jesus is your rest? And if if we get caught up in thinking, just if I stop working, I can find rest. We're forgetting the gospel. If we get caught up in, okay, I'm going to take this time off of work, and I'm going to I'm going to hang out with my wife, and I'm going to 
watch some Netflix, and I'm going to eat some good food, and then I'll be good to go. We're missing it. Those are all good things. But it's not Jesus. And everything has always been about, everything is, and everything will always be about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Praise you that we can see in, in Old Testament scriptures these things that seem like obscure law and things that don't really apply to us because we're new covenant believers. I praise you that we see Jesus there. That we can find hope in things that seem hopeless, that we can find as we feel withered and worn out, restoration in Jesus. That we not get caught up on the rules and regulations trying to prove ourselves or find our identity in doing. But that we can stop the doing long enough to see who we are has already been established in the work of Christ. Praise you for the gospel. Help us find rest. In Jesus' name, amen.